Turn with me to Psalm 50, please. Psalm 50. And when you're getting your place, remember the Bible study and prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Our subject again is the Russians are coming. It's very likely that this standoff in the West over Ukraine and all the amassing of the Russian forces never seen the, the like has never been seen since the Second World War. It's very likely that this could spark off the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. Not say it's coming immediately, but it could spark it off. It could be the road to it. And what an awesome war that will be. And we have been dealing with that in 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. There are four things scripturally required before the Islamic, the Islamic nations that's going to be allied with Russia uh, converges on Israel. There's four things to happen. Three of them already has happened. There's only one thing to happen according to scripture before it can take place. And we'll be dealing with that on, on Wednesday night. You bring your Bible and come and bring others. This is not just to speak on prophecy. It's to alert us to the fact that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And we need to be living and we need to be ready. And when the Lord has given us 52 verses and two chapters completely about the war of Gog and Magog, we would need to study them and know them and understand them and preach them. Because that is our job, as well as a whole raft of other scriptures regarding these end time days. This is going to be the greatest battle that ever was. There'll only be one greater battle. And that'll be the battle of Armageddon, which follows on after that, when all the nations of the world will converge in Israel. Read your prophetic scriptures, bring your Bible, and come and bring others with you. And I'm sure the Lord will bless you as he has been blessing others. We thank, we're thankful for all the reports we're getting on the media and so others that people are being spoke to. And we're glad to be able to be the Lord's servant in these days to declare these uh, truths. Psalm 50, and keep your Bible open there because we'll be referring to a text in a moment. We'll just say a wee prayer and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we never were as great in need of your help as we are this morning. You know, Lord, how this message has burdened our soul. And Father, we pray that there'll be hearing ears and There'll be understanding hearts and that, uh, Father, that thou will speak into the souls of men and women this morning. We need to hear from God. We're tired of men listening to them. We need to hear from thee, Lord. Speak, speak, Lord, unto us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John Bowley was reckoned to be a very devout and religious and spiritual man. One day he sat in his home at Wartenburg, Germany, and a woman whom he didn't know of ill repute knocked the door. He bid her to come in, and as he sat in the chair, she made an immoral suggestion, an invitation to him. He never spoke. He locked his eyes and fixed his eyes firmly upon her. And after a moment or two, she became visibly shaken. And after another moment or two, she said, For God's sake, sir, take your eyes off me. But as he continued to gaze upon her, she started to wring her hands and scream. And she said, all right, you know all about me. he never seen her before. You know all about me. I only had one. Only one, Bowley said. And continued to gaze piercingly into her very eyes. 
All right, she screamed, I only had two illegitimate children, but I done them no harm. No harm, Bowley said. No harm. And she said, oh God, have mercy upon me. Yes, I drowned one of them. Only one of them, Bowley said. And rising to his feet, she fled screaming from the house. Only one. God has no shortage of ways of speaking to us. Sometimes he speaks to us through his son directly, Hebrews 1. In sundry times and different manners, he has in the last days spoke to his son. Sometimes he speaks to us through the scriptures. The word of God is a hammer and a fire and a sword that pierces us. Sometimes he speaks through the Spirit and expressly he speaks in the latter days through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he speaks through signs and wonders. Sometimes he speaks through the stellar systems of creation. Sometimes he speaks through his servants, the prophets, the apostles and the evangelists. But none of these things God used to speak to this woman. The servant never spoke to her about repentance or conviction or sin. He simply asked a question or two. Do you know what spoke to her? Her conscience. Conscience. And that's what my message is about this morning. Conscience or conscience. Paul in Romans 2 says that conscience accusing or excusing us The conscience accused this woman 31 times in the New Testament. We get the word conscience, pure conscience, a weak conscience, a seared conscience, a wounded conscience, an evil conscience, a defiled conscience, and most times, nine times out of the 31, it's a good conscience. It seems that God has given us a faculty, another blessing, another blessing to bring us to repentance and to bring us to Christ and to bring us to truth. It seems that he has, he, he seems that he, he has put that there to get us to flee from our sins. This conscience. Now the word conscience, con, theon, Con means with, and the word science means knowledge, although there doesn't seem to be too much of the about with some of the scientists today. But it means science means knowledge, and con means with. And we're all born with a conscience, with a conscience, with a knowledge of right and wrong. You don't have to tell the Eskimos away out in the Arctic. You don't have to tell them we are out in the jungles of Ethiopia. Something there that God has placed there in the heart and life of every man and woman is a conscience. A conscience that tells us what's right and what's wrong. Even though it wasn't the sun that spoke to her or the scriptures that spoke to her or the spirit spoke to her or the signs spoke to her or even the servant spoke to her. Her conscience spoke to her. Oh, God, have mercy. She knew when the eyes of John Bowley looked and stared at her that what she was and what she did was wrong. Now I want the Lord this morning to Look into your hearts, that's why I chose and got out that hymn and sought that hymn out. Till every fiery glance has passed right into the depth of her soul this morning. You remember Peter? Whenever he sat at the world's fire, remember three and a half years with the Lord and he cursed and he oathed. He said, I never knew the man, I know nothing about him. And he sat at the world's fire, and do you remember Jesus swung round when the cock crew and gazed upon him? That's all he did. He gazed upon Peter. 
And it says that he wept bitterly. He didn't only weep, but he convulsed and he wept bitterly. And the eyes of the Savior penetrated the soul. Those flaming eyes of judgment. Thy God seest me. And those flaming eyes of judgment pierce into the souls of men and women. And I trust they'll pierce into the souls of those listening to me here this morning. For they pierced my soul. And the message has to deal with the preacher before the preacher can preach it or else he shouldn't preach it. The eyes of omnipotence, the eyes of the omnipresence, the eyes of omniscience, speaking into the very heart and the souls of men when nothing else can speak. The conscience. So let us speak to you, my friend. Let us speak to you this morning. I'm sure you're saying it's time we got some sort of a text. Well, you are. 21st verse of Psalm 50. Dwell upon this verse this morning. Dwell upon this text this morning that I can unburden my heart to you this morning and to those hundreds or maybe thousands that's listened to me. Dwell upon this text this morning for God give me this word. I told my wife coming out this morning I never was assured in my life of a word for the people that I have this morning. You look at this verse 21. These things hast thou done. And I kept silence. These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. Friend, if you don't listen this morning, if you don't listen to the Word this morning, or to the Savior this morning, or to the Spirit this morning, for God's sake, will you listen to your conscience? May it not have to be dragged out of you this morning like dragging a tooth out of you. May may you come out like this woman this morning and when God puts his finger on it, confess and repent and flee. This is God's fire alarm. This is God's censor. This is God's electric fence to jolt us out of our sin as a way down deep in our heart, the loathomeness of sin we sang here in this. These things hast and put a big ring round that thou hast done. And I kept silent. And I'll be dealing in closing with the silence of God. I can't take it up, of course. Oh, I tell you, you begin to get this text into your mind. Here's the context. We must always put the text in its context. Now, here's the context of this text. It's a psalm of judgment to God's people for the things that they had done and said and allowed and covered up. It's a sin not only of commission, that's doing something, or the sin of omission, not doing something. If you study this psalm, it's a psalm of judgment all the way through to the very last verse. These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. And again, I say we're not dealing with the silence of God this morning. Now, now we don't understand the silence of God at times. I, I admit that. There's nothing probably baffles us more than, and I'm sure you would have a raft of questions you could ask me this morning about why God is silent. Why silent in your health problems or your marriage problems or your children problems or, or your job or your or death or something else? Maybe you often feel it crying out like Psalm 83 and verse 1, Keep not thou silent, O God. And the answer is never a word. Oh, I tell you, we know what that is like when we get down before God and there's so many things coming into our mind and in our heart and things going on and all oh, the heavens are like brass. And there's a whole pile of reasons why that might be, which we are not going into this morning. We must not divert from this text this morning. What are these people, what are these things that the people done? What are these things that the people shut heaven's voice from? Why was God silent to his people? Look at verse 16. Now look at verse 16, my friend. These are, these are piercing words this morning. Verse 16. But unto the wicked, 
Now let me stop there a moment. He's speaking to his people. There's not a word in this psalm to the ungodly. He's speaking to the people. Look at verse 5 of the, of, the, of, the, of the chapter. Gather my saints together. Look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, and speak, O my Israel. These are the covenant-keeping people of God. These are the Israelites. These are God's chosen people, chosen above all others of the world. These are God's covenant people, the people of the promises, the people of the oracles, the people of the testimonies, the people of, of the Torah, the people that God loved and called and blessed. He's speaking to his people, and he's calling them wicked. What does it mean, the word wicked there? means the, the context is an ungodly, ungodly and immoral things. Ungodly and immoral things they had done or not done is equally as bad as omission as his commission, hearing the word and not doing it, getting commandments and not doing it, being told the truth and not obeying it, just as bad as doing anything else. You see, if you study these verses here down in the middle of this chapter, you'll find that there's three commandments broken here. Now, I want you to look at the Scripture. I hope you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you have it open, and I hope you look at it. And if you haven't, I'll give you a minute to open it. Open your Bible. Boy, so many of God's people trail into church, and they don't bring a Bible, and they come in, and they never open it. We need to get into the Word of God and what the Word says. God wants to speak to hearts and souls this morning. I want you to look. There's three commandments that was broken here that God silenced the voice of God, silenced heaven. These things hast thou done, and I answered you not. I spoke not. I kept silent. Now I want you to look at verse 17. You look at verse 17. That's the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 18, that's the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Verse 19 and 20, and you need the victory to be rubbed in here with so many of God's people. Let me tell you, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness or speak against thy brother. There's three of God's commandments that he's given to his people here, his own chosen people, whom are the saints of God, so-called saints of God and children of God and children of Israel. Let that get into your heart, and he's speaking to you and me this morning. Look at verse 16 again. But unto the wicked, God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes? In other words, what right have you to declare my word? What right have you to preach my word? What right have you to tell that you're a child of God and you belong to the covenant of Israel? What right have you to do that? What right have you? What right have you to teach a Sunday school class if you're not obeying God? What right have you to be an elder in this church if you're not obeying the word of God? What right have you to be a deacon or at the organ or on this pulpit if you're not obeying the word of God? What right have we to take these holy oracles and things of God and preach them and tell others and testify to others if we're not living right. That's what he's saying. What right have you to call yourself a Christian or a saint of God if you're living in sin? What right have you to call yourself a Christian a Christian, and let others know that I'm a Christian and I'm an evangelical and a good... What right have you to do that? If you're twisting and turning in business, 
and no testimony out there. And what right have you to do that if you're not declaring to the people that you work with and the people around you and the people in your family that you're saved and you're born again? What right have you to go into the tank of baptism? What right have you to come round this table? What he's saying to them, you have no right if you're not living right. And those are only three commandments. You have no right at all to declare my word, to take my name on your mouth and say I'm a Christian and I belong to Jesus who died on the cross for me and sing the things that you sing and you can't come to a prayer meeting. What right have you or or I to be on this pulpit this morning if I'm living like the devil? What right have I to be on this pulpit this morning if I whiled away all week on boards of governors and on the golf course? No right whatsoever. Preacher, you hear me this morning out there. We talked about sabbaticals. Oh, we need a sabbatical. And they're all talking about sabbaticals. Well, they got a two-year sabbatical and it didn't make one bit difference to them. What right have you to declare the word of God when you shut the house of God up? I tell you, the people are seeing through it now. We have no right to handle this book. We have no right to come onto the holy pulpit behind the pulpit, the sacred desk of God. We have no right to declare this word of God if we're living in sin and fooling and wasting and tinkering about with God's time and tithe and talents. Oh, you're rough this morning. Well, you've heard nothing yet. God burdened my soul. God gave me this message in a powerful, unusual way. And I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to ask the Lord that the eyes of God will go into your very soul and heart this morning. Because what we need in the church today is reality. Reality, not formality. The church is coming down with formality. I read something down there that an old Puritan said some years ago, 400 years ago. Formality, 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 the curse of England. Formality, formality, the curse of the church. They broke these three commandments. Because thou hast done this in verse 16. Let's look at the verse again, verse 16. But unto the wicked God says, What hast thou to declare? Why, had, why should thou declare my statutes or my word? Or that thou should take my covenant in thy mouth? Why should you say I'm a saint of God and a servant of God and a Christian and born again? What right have you to do that? What right have we to draw near with our lips and our heart far from us? What right have you to come to the table? What right have you to give out a track for God? What right have we to associate ourselves with the eternal God of heaven and the Son of God who died on the cross for us? If we're not living right. This is what you call Pharisaical religion, the form of godliness. No depth, no substance to it. No hunger, no interest, no longing to get into the prayer meeting. These Pharisees broke all these three commandments. They had the gowns on, they had the phylacteries on, they had the Torah, the satin Moses seat. They had 613 prohibitions and they kept every one of them. For a hen laid an egg on the Sabbath, they couldn't lift the egg. And they're all tied up and bound up with rules and regulations. As I say, the satin Moses seat. 
But in, in Matthew 23, there's 23 woes from the Savior to them. I wonder how many woes he would bring into this pulpit. I wonder how many woes he'd bring into my home. I wonder how many woes he'd bring into this church. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites and thieves and robbers that devour and steal from the houses of the widows and in the very next breath. And if you read it in Matthew 23, and then they went to prayer. Ah. Well, I tell you, you can see more than stealing something out of a shop. You can rob God. And again, I say, and I'm not asking money, we never ask a penny for this church. There's boxes there if you want to put it in. You Let me tell you this, God, will a man rob God? Yeah, he says, yes, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. We can thieve more ways than one, let me tell you. And they committed adultery too because he told them you're a wicked and adul- adulterous generation. An adulterous and wicked generation that seeketh after a sign. They were partakers of adultery. And there's three kinds of adultery. There's mental adultery. And some of you boys are on the phone and some of you boys are watching stuff at night and that's mental adultery, that's pornography. It's mental adultery. And it's as bad as real, literal adultery. There's a piercing eye of God on you this morning, boy. Because last week you spent too much time at that and on that old phone and fiddling about the things that you don't know. And God's seen you and he sees you tonight. He sees what goes on in your room this morning. It's not the eyes of John Bowley. It's the eyes of the eternal, almighty God like fire piercing the soul and knowing the heart of man. And conscience drawing you out to confession and to repentance. That's what it is. There's mental adultery and there's physical adultery and there's spiritual adultery. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. God says you've left me and you've went after hearing after other gods. Money. Materialism, pleasure. And number three, thou slanderest thy brother and speakest against thy brother and against thy son. Boy, they spoke against the son, all right. They said that he was, they told him, you're illegitimate, you're a fornicator, you're a deceiver. They framed deceit with their tongue and they put him on the cross. Look at verse 17. Seest thou hatest instruction and castest my word behind thee. When they were told the truth, and they were instructed with the oracles of God. They had the word before them on the Sabbath day. They had the Torah, and they jumped, and they went back, and they went forward, and they went through the Torah, and they went over every bit of the Mosaic law, and they knew it inside out and by the heart. But on the next day, they trampled it under the feet. There's something like 25 Bibles out there. People have left behind, some very good ones. I think we took 50, 60 out of the old barn about a year ago. I wonder, is your Bible still in the car to the next Sunday? I wonder when you have been instructed in the Word and you've told what the Word expects you to do and you don't do it, that you fling it behind you and you say, I'll not have this man to rule over me. Well, you're going to pay for this now. Don't you think they're going to death a hundred or two hundred every day in Afghanistan and North Korea for their faith and they refuse to bow to ally? Don't you tell me that we're going to get away with it. When we took those 60 Bibles out of the barn and underneath the barn and everywhere we got, 
tell you, they were away down the south. They were away within a week, every one of them. Some of them were written over. Some of them had names on them. They grabbed them up. Willie Wilson took them down. He said he couldn't, he couldn't get it to have you anymore. With a thousand songs, old songs of Victor Hembrooks, and every one of them nearly left, nearly went. These things hast thou done, but I have remained silent. I have remained silent. Christian by name, evangelical by name, But that's no good, my friends. I want to jolt you this morning that's supposed to be Christians and supposed to be born again and supposed to be evangelical. I want to jolt you this morning with the eyes of the eternal God looking into your heart. How do you spend your days and your nights? Formality again, let me say. We need reality. And the world out there is looking for reality. I tell you, they haven't much faith in us out there in the world when they look at what goes on in the church. Send me a mass. I'm going to send you down. I'll not mention where it was away down the country. Man rang a motor mechanic. He says, I'm going to send you down a man. I want to look at his car. I want you to look at his car. He says, don't send him if he's a Christian. Don't send him if he's a Christian. Formality. Old Bill Russell was a drunkard. Old Bill, Bill Russell was a good friend of mine and he was a man I learned a lot from. He could hardly read or write and he told you that himself. He was drunk and he lay in the fields at night and he lay out at night and, and the rain battered on him and he had a foul tongue and he was evil and everything that he'd done. And one day God saved old Bill. He's long gone to be with the Lord. He used to come to the prayer meetings here in the early days. And if he was sitting in a meeting like this, I'll tell you, you'd get a roar of an amen out of Bill. He used to go to Mullins Bible studies and in the midst of all that big crowd of five or six hundred people, he'd hear Bill shouting praise the Lord. Bill was real. And whenever Bill Russell got saved, you know what he said? He says, Lord, I want to get saved. He said, but don't make me a butter paper Christian. And somebody said, what's a butter paper Christian? Well, he says, I went round to go round the fairs and the marts and these boys, there was no cards, and no checks hardly. And men bought cattle with cash, with notes, old white fivers. And none of you remember them. I remember the old white fivers, as big as a sheet of paper, a page in the newspaper. And Bill says, whenever they took them out, he says there was... They had a four or five, twenty pound or ten pound notes and then they'd butter paper wrapped around them and then they had another few and they'd butter paper wrapped around them and then they had another few and they'd butter paper wrapped around them and then they had the big stuff of the money at the top and they pulled it out. Well, it says, I don't want to be a butter maker, Chris. I don't want to be a butter paper, Christian. I want to be real. And boy, he was real. He was real. Are you real this morning? Is the eyes of omnipotence searching your heart? Search me, O oh God. Let me say this in closing. Don't take the silence of God as approval for sin. Just don't think now because everything's going well with you. But everything's okay. Don't think that you've got away with it. 
And I trust this morning that there's murderers who listen to this message. And pedophiles that will miss this message. And men who think they have escaped, God will listen to this message. Don't think you've got away with it, sir. God has done everything he can to bring you to repentance, even your conscience. And you've cast the word behind your back. But there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day of judgment coming for these boys in their suits and ties that murdered our children and our people. There's a day of judgment coming. David thought he got away with it. David committed murder and adultery and lies. And when he got Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, out of the way, he took Bathsheba Bathsheba for his wife. And for 13 months, he reigned, he governed, he passed laws, he administrated, he done everything that he was doing before it. Everything. And one day, and although his bones waxed old, and although he, he shook at times like this woman before, he didn't do anything about it. Maybe he thought he had got away with it. But one day, one day, when he was on the judgment seat, Nathan the prophet came and bowed before him and said, King, there's something I want you to pass judgment on. What is it? Well, he says, as a poor man, a very poor man, and he has a wee pet, he had a wee pet lamb. And it used to eat out of the table with him. It used to, it used to sleep in his bed and it used to follow him and it used to jump up on him. And he had only the one wee pet lamb who was poor. And the children and all loved the wee thing. It was a lovely wee lamb. And say on, Nathan. And there was a man that lived beside him and he was very wealthy and he had herds and he had flocks and there was no end to his prosperity and there was no end to what he had. And a traveler came along one day. There came a man and a family along one day and he said, he said, he said we'll give these people a feed. We'll make them a feed. We'll give them something to eat. They're on a long journey. We'll give them to eat. He said to a servant, go and get the man's lamb. And they pulled the wee lamb and wrenched it from the man and the family and slew it and fed the people. King, what will you say? Slay that man. Kill that man. David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. You took a man's wife and you abused her. You told lies and you slew her husband. And you're committing half a dozen sins and you thought you got away with it. Thou art the man. Boy, I'll tell you, he went into brokenness and weeping. The eyes of God pierced into his... Don't you think that because there's an approval because he's not dealing with your sin now? Boy, you could prosper and you could make thousands and you could be mighty. But be sure your sin will find you out. God's greatest detective, Billy Sunday says, is sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. I don't know what he's saying to you this morning. 
I don't know what he's putting his finger on in your life this morning or what your conscience is coming up with this morning. But I tell you, you would need to deal with it and you'd need to deal with it today. And it may not be any of these things. And if it's any of these things, my friend, you need to deal with it now. It may have been five years, it may have been ten years, it may have been twenty years, it may have been fifty years. There's stuff to be put right. Before you start calling yourself a saint of God, before we say we're the covenant people of God, before we come in, we had, we had a hundred people in here, or over a hundred in here on Wednesday night, yet he stayed for the prayer meeting. Yet. Do you know how many prayed? Four. I was grieved when I went home. I must say that nothing grieves a minister more than that, to preach his heart out to people and see no response. And I went home, and while I didn't weep, I was grieved in my soul. And I asked the Lord the question. I said, Lord, why is this? And there's two things I came up with, just like a short, sharp shot. God put them into my mind. First of all, there's sin in the life. Because you can't pray if there's sin in your life. Oh, you listen to prophecy all night. You can't pray if there's sin in your life. No, you can't pray if there's unbelief. Gee, how would you, what would you be praying for if you don't believe God? Or it could be the number third thing, it could be the fear of man. God help us. Four. I think it was four prayed. You, you, I'm a child of God. I'm a saint of God. I'm, I'm evangelical. I'm saved. I'm born of men. I could take you to the date, but but lastly, don't think that uh, the silence of God is approval because Ecclesiastical tells us this, that the sentence of an evil work will not be executed, may not be executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil because it's not executed speedily. They just go on and on and on in their sin. The second thing and the last thing is this. Don't think for a moment that silence is final to the believer because God will speak to you again and he can speak to you again and he will speak when you put things right oh if I could rake out that old hymn I'll maybe get someone to rake it out for me the cords that were broken will vibrate once more. He may be silent to you at the moment and he's given you the space, the Bible says, space to repent. Space to repent this morning through the servant. Space to repent through the spirit. Praise to respond to the, to the conscience. Praise to repent. He's saying to you again. He's calling you again. And all his love and all his mercy. In these last days, given men and women an opportunity to repent. He says, I'm silent unto you, but. And I will be until. You do what David did. Until you repent. May you flee from this house this morning like the woman fled from the presence of Boley. Crying unto God. And I want, to look, I want you to look at verse 22. Verse 23. See the way it ends? Verse 21. These things hast thou done and I kept silent because I thought that thou was altogether such a man as that's another text. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before mine eyes. God will do it in his time and he'll, he'll, he'll set things in order before his eyes and he'll bring it out at the right time and he'll draw you out at the right time. And God gave me this message for somebody this morning to draw them out. 
at the right time. This is the time now. This is the moment now. This is the day now. God has sparked your conscience. The electric fence has struck and the sensor has gone off. The smoke alarm's gone off. Woe betide you if you don't hear it. And he says, oh, what you have to do is this, and we read this from all the other scriptures, we read it from David and all, what you have to do is you have to repent. And you have to forsake your sins, and he will forgive your sins. And then in verse 23, what a way to, lovely way to end. Whosoever offers praise glorifieth me unto him that ordereth his conversation, that is order his way, down the road of life, I will show the salvation of the Lord. Praise. But you can't praise them if they're sin. Oh, you can sing and drum. You can come in and sit at the courses for all the night and some of them sit three quarters of an hour singing the course. You can do all that. You can beat and you can drum and you can sing and you can clap and you can shout and you can raise your hands and you can do what you like and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that doesn't deal with sin. No, no. It's the word of the eternal and the living God that pierces the heart as the sword. We can cover it up with all these things just the same as Achan covered up the thing that he stole the cursed thing that he stole at Jericho. God told him not to touch it and he touched it and he took that cursed thing and the wedges of gold and he was from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise. And he took it and he brought it into his tent and he dug a hole in the ground and he put it in under the ground and he covered it with, with, with stuff over and nobody knew anything until God said. God said to Joshua, get up and stop praying. Gee, there's a time to get up. Get up and stop praying. Get the house in order. Go to, go to Aiken's. Go to Aiken's tent. Name in the Aiken's tent. There's nothing here. We, we're the tribe of praise. We're praising and we're thanking God and everything's well. It's not well. Pull the cover back there. They pull the cover back and underneath with the gold and the garments. Death death, death. Once we get all that done and once we get the thing right and once we confess and repent and once we come back to God then the joy that will fill our soul and he that offers praise will glorify God. Don't go home trailing that sin with you again today. Go out with the crowd and come round the door and we'll pray and we'll help you all we can. I don't have to know it, just God has to know it. and You have to repent of it before him. Get release, get liberty that you'll want to get into the prayer meeting, that you'll want to pray, that you'll want to praise, that you'll want to thank God. Oh, I'm no good at praise. No, you're not. You're good at shouting and talking about other things. Well, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I have unburdened my heart this morning and I feel released this morning because I have brought the word God give me. I'll not tell you when, but he gave it to me. And I'm glad that I've delivered it. And I'm glad that I've instructed you on this word here. And if you cast it behind your back and trample it under your feet, then that's your business. If you ignore your conscience this morning, ignore the word and ignore the son and ignore the spirit and ignore everything, but are you going to ignore your conscience? You'll end up with a seared conscience. That's a conscience that has a hot iron put on it that the ends of it seared and you can't feel anything. You go on so long you can't feel anything. You just go on in your sin. 
May God help us this morning. And thank you for being patient and understanding. And I know it's not easy for you and it's not easy for me. But it wasn't easy for the psalmist either to write what he wrote. Asaph. Don't call yourself saints. Don't call yourself the covenant people. Don't call yourself. You have no right to call yourself that. If you're not obeying me, let us pray. Father, Father, we thank you for taking your word this morning. Lord, we can do no more. Lord, I can't do any more this morning. And I just pray that there'll come a release into these meetings, Lord, a release into these prayer meetings, Lord, and a hungering after God, not after Russia, not after Israel, but after God. And Father, we thank you how graciously you dealt with David and how graciously you dealt, Lord, with Peter. And how graciously you dealt with Samson and a score more Lord <coughs> David says I acknowledge my sins and my transgression is ever before me Lord if we would sit here this morning and say that we have no sin we would be here this morning and say that I have no transgressions we would be here this morning we're liars Lord in the very eyes of faith of God the very presence of God Oh, God, this morning. Lord God, this morning. Have I no way, Lord, this morning. Amen.